These are the tribulations of Paulette. I spend the morning at home awaiting the results of an autopsy that is being done on Schultze, our $2,000 pug. For me, Schultze's death was a relief, if only because my in-laws are coming to town tonight and, well, something had to give. I turn my attention to preparing our cozy nest for the juggernaut. Changing sheets in the guest room, I fantasize about calling my own bluff and actually acting upon pre-houseguest suicidal impulses. There I'd be, their apron-clad daughter-in-law, swinging by the neck from a kitchen light fixture with a note pinned to my leg that says, Welcome! I prepare menus and begin to bake treats for the upcoming week. The doors blast from Sonos. I make a large pot of tea to keep me company, and by the time the last of the brownies are packed in Tupperware, my teeth are caked with the rejects. My refrigerator repairman, Pat, meets me in the driveway as I'm navigating a hot flash. He has come to fix the ice maker, which has been on the fritz for a few weeks. First, he announces, smiling and holding up the Boston Herald, he's got some business to attend to. While I acknowledge that the cable guy, the plumber, and the electrician have human needs like the rest of us, I can't for the life of me understand how our house got the neon sign designating it a rest stop. Although we have a bathroom in our basement, it's really only a toilet in a closet that has no light. That's why 250 pounds of pat prefers to squeeze into my tiny but well-appointed lav in our mudroom. He plunks his work boots down on the 2 by 3 Persian rug, straddles my lady's size toilet, and sits himself down to push some legislation through the Senate. I have to turn the music in the kitchen all the way up to 11 so as not to hear Pat grunting his way through the Herald sports pages. While Jim Morrison wails on about back doors, all I can picture is Pat's. The vet finally calls to tell me that a grand mal seizure killed our three-month-old pug. He suggests that we find another dog breeder then asks how I would like to pay for the autopsy. How much is it, I ask? $3,000, he says, matter-of-factly. Come again, I say, feeling my own grand mal seizure well up. He says, well, it's actually 2880 You performed $2,800 of work on a dead dog, I ask? Well, between lab tests, CAT scans, and the MRI, I'm sorry, that's what it amounts to. We did discuss this when you brought the dog in. Where is the dog now, I ask? Oh, he's ready to be buried. If you decide to cremate him and receive his remains, it'll be an additional $200. Of course, you can always donate him for research. I tell the vet to keep the dog and provide him with my credit card number. Three grand! There goes my already whittled-down Dr. Fish budget for this month. Now I'll look like a damn pug. I find a cylindrical tin under the counter, load a plastic bag with sugar, shove a few stones in for heft, and wrap the lid with clear packing tape. This looks just like the urn from the previous dog, and no one will ever know the difference. 
we'll have a small ceremony over the weekend. And although I hate to be cruel, that's it for dogs for a while. Dave's parents are lovely small town people who are health nuts and live in the mountains of Colorado. When they come to visit, which they do annually, it's always for two week stays. Their peculiar habits serve to undo me by about day two. Over the years, I've found ways of coping with this. My favorite is an Edward Albee game straight from Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? It's called Get the Guest. It's quite simple, really. I mess with their heads by staying one step ahead of them. Ricky is Dave's father, and he likes his crossword puzzles. In the morning, he gets up early to nab the New York Times from the back stoop. I'm kind of picky about my newspaper, and I like it untouched. To preempt Ricky, I order him his own newspaper for the duration of his stay. An unpretentious man, he is confounded by this excess. Hey, you've got two papers here, Paulette, he announced a few years back, holding them aloft. That's right, Ricky, my friend, I said to him, patting his shoulder, and one of them is all yours. My treat. Ricky and Dave's mother, Trudy, drink gallons of coffee. It used to be that they would crowd into a corner of my kitchen, allotting five minutes per cup, adding skim milk judiciously, and stirring the coffee vigorously to dissolve the sugar. Tinka, 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 tinka. By day three, the tinkas had me nuthouse bound. But that was then. Now I set them up with their own coffee pot in the pantry. They've got everything they need there to incite a full-on case of caffeine-induced kidney failure. Also, I changed them over to powdered sugar, so no more tinka, tinka, tinka. From behind my brand-new Virgin New York Times, I take great pleasure not hearing them tank up as their silent sugar melts into Pete's rocket fuel. Dave is retrieving Ricky and Trudy from the airport at 2.30 a.m. They've been journeying from Colorado for two days because they took bargain flights, so they'll be exhausted. I've left lentil soup on the stove for them, anticipating receipt of the Congressional Medal of Honor at the close of their visit. It's midnight. Dave is in his chair, where he's been asleep for several hours. I check on the kids, then fall into bed like an anvil reeking of brownies and garlic. I decide to have a go with the intruder, as it will most likely be the last time I get to use it for a couple of weeks. Lately, I've been so dependent on the intruder that I leave it in plain sight just under the bed. My gay cleaning lady held it up to me one day as she was vacuuming and suggested that I might think about putting it in a drawer. But your husband, Mrs. Paulette, this no good for your husband. A lesbian advocating for a man. I hate to give Susanna the wrong idea about me, but these days, the intruder is my husband. At least now I'll sleep like a baby. With any luck, I won't wake up when Dave comes in with his parents in the middle of the night. Two hours later, I sit up straight in bed, wide awake. I'm alone, and I have momentary panic at the empty spot beside me. Where's Dave? Then I remember he's at the airport. It's 2.15 a.m. I turn over to go back to sleep, and as I do, I feel a funny thump in my chest. 
This must be some kind of palpitation. I swing my legs out of bed, and as I do, I feel another thump and instinctively put my fingers to my neck to feel my pulse. Oh, my God! My heart is pounding so fast that I can hardly calculate the rate, but it seems close to 200 beats a minute. What's going on? Am I going to die? I leap up and start running around madly, throwing off pajamas, pulling on jeans and a sweater. I check my pulse again, and it's even worse. 210 beats a minute. I feel weak and sick to my stomach. I call Dave, but he doesn't answer his cell phone. No doubt about it. I have to get to a hospital. But what about the kids? I can't leave them alone. I call Dolly's house, and she answers, wide awake, on the second ring. What's up? She asks, like it's 10 a.m. I tell her what's going on, and she yells, on my way, and hangs up. I dial 911 and go downstairs to wait. Five minutes later, a fire truck with siren blaring pulls into my driveway, followed by Dolly and her giant Jeep. Two burly firemen hop out of the truck with a defibrillator and an oxygen tank. There's no fire, I say, waving my arms. Please, turn off your lights. You're going to wake up all our neighbors. Who's got the heart palpitations, says the guy with the tank. Me, I do, but I called 911. I need an ambulance, not a fire truck. Oh, God, now I feel faint. I sit down on the stoop. I agree to wear the oxygen mask, and Dolly rubs my shoulders as I take deep breaths. The ambulance will be here any minute, ma'am, one of the firemen says. We came because we're first response. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm so sorry, I say, moving the mask so they can hear me speak. A thousand thoughts ricochet through my head. What if I don't make it? Who's going to feed Ricky and Trudy? Will they bury me with the dog? And then, is this the same thing Ted has? Is it possible that I caught this from him? One of the firemen sits down next to me on the stairs. Don't worry, it's going to be all right, he says as he pats my knee. You know, he continues, we left the fire station in kind of a hurry. I nod in agreement, taking deep breaths and trying to stay calm. I was just wondering, he says softly and kindly, if I could use your bathroom. Listening to the very cool sounds of Mr. Eric Fontana. The sidewalks itchy, gets and bitch it, and it run right after you. I take my time and drink my wine. When the trees they start to sway, six hundred miles to the future, but I had to run away. Next time, the Heineken remover. Till then, ta ta. Yeah.